It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us here on this Thursday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Wherever. It is your favorite day of the week. It is Thursday. We already declared I'm a Wednesday, Friday guy. <laughs> You're a Thursday guy. You're the only person I have ever met that is like intent on finding out other people's favorite no, days. Here's the other thing. I've never done this before, but somehow we stumbled upon the other day calling Thursday your favorite day, so I'm going to roll with it. I'm okay with that. It's date night. Date night. You looking forward to tonight? Oh, yeah. Horse-drawn carriage. we got a private, <laughs> your wife's private cellist coming over, and we're going to... I can't even make up romantic if, things. If what, I, are, what do normal people do on date night? If I took my wife... If that was what we did on the date night, she'd be like, again? I, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Let's get her on the phone the, and find the accuracy really, of that. Really? The horse-drawn carriage again? Oh, yeah. A white stallion. Great job, I mean, honey. Really? More flowers in the house? Are we really going to do Where this? am I even going to put them? We're running out of counter space. Has your wife ever said to you, like, you know... I don't want to play this game. <laughs> my wife, not too long ago, just commented that it had been a very long time since I I got her flowers, and then I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place because mm-hmm. if I went and got them, yeah, that was just because she said it. But if I don't, you're the first guy feels... to ever feel that way, Brian. None of us <laughs> have ever to me. never faced that dilemma in our marriages ever. What do you do in that moment? Get the flowers, probably. Oh, I just already get her flowers all the time. So with the poem, what do you? I'll get What I used to do a lot of uh, was I, I would leave her notes, but they were always like drawings that were also puns. So. <laughs> That probably takes some of the romance out of it, <laughs> now that I'm hearing it out loud. <laughs> uh, I just don't know how she fell for you. <laughs> mm, yeah, you, me, and the rest of the universe. They're always like, him with her? Yeah. Does he have a lot of money? <laughs> Is he richer nope. than we think? No. Nope. <laughs> He's a pastor. Oh, okay. Drives a purple car? All right. <laughs> so, uh, big in the news these days, all week, has been these impeachment hearings. And I was like, Wait, you know what? what? Yeah, exactly. I was like... Uh, I thought to myself, we we probably should touch on these, and it never have I felt more out over my skis going, I don't really know. I don't really know what's going on. I don't have a huge opinion, which probably is a problem, especially <laughs> when you have a talk show. But So I decided to go do some reading, and I was okay. going to do a little bit of background research, watch some things. And so I want to talk more about that experience and even the impeachment, because they could go, you know, there's a lot of other stations giving you good and good impeachment talk right now. I made the mistake of going online and on my TV to Fox News and MSNBC to try to get mm-hmm. uh, perspectives. Sure. And what I learned is, uh, in my two searches, I learned that in no way should President Trump be de- impeached and he should definitively be impeached. Hmm. Surprising. <laughs> and it was, I know we talk about this all the time, echo chambers and all this stuff. I don't think I've ever felt it as acutely as, like, literally every article at foxnews.com was like, hmm. Time to end these hearings. Clearly nothing proven. Boom, boom, boom. And then I went to MSNBC. Like the next one I went to was MSNBC. And it was like, uh, if Republicans have a spine, they'll realize the truth. And just one after the other. And I was like, then I turned on my TV. and It was the same thing. Hmm. And I don't know why this surprises me, but it really did. I think the starkness of it, of going like, 
Wow, yeah. it is crazy out there. Like the difference, <laughs> like the differences. Because we talk about it, but I don't know. It was just. It was weird. It was just really odd. This is why I live in the mountains. And I, don't, I don't listen to <laughs> or read any of that. Words. That's it. That's it. I, I'm literally airlifted to the station, yep. and then I'll, uh, and I'll fly out of here when I'm done. I think one of my takeaways was there's a lot of people out there who only listen to Fox News or MSNBC. Yeah, for, sure, for sure. Or something long. And it, I guess it was, I think, one of the first times I experienced, like, man, you're in big trouble if that's all you do. If mm. all you do is read or listen to or watch one side of something. Yeah. Uh, you're 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 in trouble. Like you're gonna. But don't you think the reason? But the reason people don't listen to other sides is because they're not convinced that they're getting a more well-rounded perspective. But they yeah. they believe that the quote other station, the other side is not only just like incorrect, yeah. but like maliciously so. Like they're the agenda. They're the attackers. And so to even listen to their perspective is somehow like weakening my own case. Don't yeah. you feel like that's how people would approach it? Yeah, I, I think so. And it it is. It's a what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like did Fox, let's take Fox News. Did Fox News make really conservative people or did Fox News tap into something that was out there? Like, okay, well, hmm. we're going to do that. And the same is true on the other side. And I get to both hands. And I think that uh, we do this with a lot of things. We do this with theology. Oh, for sure. That is also... Uh, I almost said equally as problematic, probably more problematic uh-huh. because we're yeah. dealing with theology above politics. So uh, help people understand how we do that with theology, because some people might be like, oh, theology is theology. It's no. just about God. So I think the way that I talk about theology, one, I say that everyone has a theology, yep. even if you don't have the you know six syllable words or a, you know an MDiv. I think everyone, everyone has something in their brain when they think about God or their own existence in the universe. So so the first is that everyone has a theology, which mm-hmm. makes this a universal discussion. Two, I think theology, good theology, is both an art and a science. Interesting. So an art, like I've never heard a painter say, all right, everyone stop. I've painted the definitive landscape. Everyone else can stop <laughs> painting landscapes from here on out. But a scientist, though, is always like building on yeah. research from people that came before them. But they're always like testing and poking and prodding and advancing. And I think this keeping the art and science balance of theology is always really important. But like one of the really convicting questions that I've been trying to ask myself is how, how many works of theology, just let's just say in my, on my own bookcase are of white men, mm. the vast majority yep, of them. And yep. that's not inherently wrong. But if you want to talk about like your case of Fox and MSNBC, if the oh. point is to get a balanced perspective, could I benefit from listening to some female theologians, some theologians of color. And I think that a lot of people end up going, well, where do I even find those? Which should make all of us go, exactly. Like yes. that's, It's so much an issue that we don't even know where to start. Yep. You know, And I think in this age of information whiplash, I think prayer is the neck brace, right? Mm. Like when there's, we're always going to be tugged in all these different directions and it's so easy to be like, shiny. Oh, now this person's saying this thing. Now, <laughs> yeah. Like, I think we have to first begin with the posture of prayer, whether it's trying to unravel the impeachment trials or trying to find a more robust balance of art and science in our theology. Yeah. I think rooting all of that, like, in a, okay, God, who, who are you mm. and who am I in light of that? And help me better understand not just ideas about you, but you in general. And I think, no, I think we often miss that by like building all these constructs that kind of just do tend to sometimes complicate stuff. I think that's a good way to put it. I think these echo chambers, the more we talk about it, the more I, I've tried to realize where they are in my own life, theologically, politically, or, or, or whatever else it might be. My last point about the impeachment stuff, too, uh, is uh, it's not a sport like your side wins or loses in this. Hmm. Like it should make us sad that our country is going through this. It's either sad that. 
uh, yeah, whichever side is right, it should make us sad. And I think it's another spot where we are encouraged to pray for our politicians and to say the church has to look altogether different than what we're seeing going on out there right now. Yeah. And I think that means and we've said this before. It's not just uh, engaging Mm -hmm. with politics. It's elevating. It's Mm -hmm. not just engaging with social media. It's elevating it. I think. We tend to sometimes really, really land heavy on the engagement, often to an, an aggressive degree. But like stepping back and saying, "Am I really? Am I elevating this discussion? Am yeah. I elevating this conversation?" And that's harder to do. But I, I think that's why Jesus was so often presenting what we call the third way of Jesus. He's like, yeah. "You live in this binary. It's either this or that." Jesus is often saying, "That's nah, something else entirely." And I think thinking that through in our modern context is really important. Yep. So come to the common good and don't actually hear impeachment talk about the impeachment, but. <laughs> Things around it, (laughs) because I think these are important, and they do play into us, to the church, to our theology, I think some important parts. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about a tweet that when I read it today was really honestly, uh, it it was very honest and very sad, and a a great window into something we've talked a lot about here. So stay here next. We're going to discuss this tweet on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast wherever it is uh, that you find our pod, wherever it is you get our podcast. That's what I'm trying to say. No, podcast in general. Do you know what I I'm, I'm shouldn't do is like try to read something else in preparation I knew while that. trying I, to say something? I could tell that's what you were doing. Man, I thought I was like a professional, like I could do these things, but nope. Well, better luck next time. <laughs> Before jumping into this tweet I talked about, let me tell you about the Chicago Leadership Prayer Breakfast. Since 1964, the Chicago Leadership Prayer Breakfast has brought together leaders of all faiths from the business, government, and nonprofit worlds. So join over 600 Chicago leaders in prayer with AM 1160, uh, breakfast chairs Marty Ozinga and his brother Paul Ozinga, and hear from keynote speaker Dr. Nicholas Pierce, associate pastor at Apostolic Faith Church at the Chicago Hilton on December the 6th at 7.30 a.m. Tickets for the 2019 Chicago Leadership Prayer Breakfast by the Chicago Sunday Evening Club are $100 or $1,000 for a table and available at Eventbrite or at csec.org. That is csec.org. The way that you read those things is real. That one felt like a struggle. (laughs) I was going to say, just very like uh, classic news anchory. Uh, That one felt like a struggle. Like, you know, like sometimes you feel like you're fighting it and sometimes it flows out. That one has struggle. I feel like I'm struggling most days. Let me know how it feels to actually. And, And that one, it should be like you're just reading. I know. You're just reading. We'll get, we'll get them. We'll, Sometimes we'll get them you next and I both, we have that every now and then we read things and it's like, mm. I'm going to get every other word like probably wrong here. You'll get them next time, sport. The, the moral of the story is go to the Chicago Prayer Breakfast. How's that sound? All right. So I referenced a tweet earlier that I want to read and it's it was really sobering to read this. And, and I want to be sensitive with this one. And uh, but it does something important. It was a tweet that was being passed around. Uh, I believe it was yesterday uh, from Sarah Carter. So Sarah Carter uh, is married to, uh, what's his name, Steve Carter, Mm -hmm. uh, who was kind of one of the two people who was going to take over at Willow Creek for Bill Hybels when Mm -hmm. kind of all the Bill Hybels stuff fell apart. And eventually, uh, Steve Carter uh, resigned. He was actually there, so he resigned Mm -hmm. uh, and is no longer on staff at Willow Creek. And uh, when I read this, I was reminded that there are a lot of um, 
personal hurts tied up in these stories because you and I can do it. Like we'll talk about Harvest or Willow or this or that. And it's more like like newsy and organizational. And, and so this is Sarah Carter uh, and kind of it's a tweet, kind of a couple different tweets that really show the pain that she and I'm assuming her family has felt from this. So I'm going to read the, t- the tweet string here and then I would love for you to uh, to respond to it. Sarah Carter writes, uh, Dear Bill Hybels, thank you for the gift of tucking my kids in as they weep and cry over friendships they can no longer have, the home they had to leave, and the faith they've watched crumble. I give you and your assembly of lead staff and elders full credit for this current experience. Uh, She writes, Your lack of courage is what's led to the fall of your baby Willow and your life's work. To watch it flail and struggle without your specific and constant direction and shame, I can't imagine it feels good. For now, as a result of your choices, it hurts and suffers and slowly rides before us uh, while you soak up the literal sunset alongside your accomplices. Though they continue to benefit from the courage of my husband's words. This is not bitterness because I welcome with love and wholeness every single person who chooses to be honest and repent. This is a mama who every night puts her babies to bed with tears and aches because of the choices of men and women you apportioned who said they were the good guys but lied. Someday my kids will be the ones who lead the revolution to bring freedom to those who are still controlled by your cult. As I sit here, a young mom holding babies with aching hearts who've been cut by the church, I just want to say hello and we see you. And and so when I read that, that is raw. And, and I actually went back and forth about whether to read this. But I, I thought it was so important because when we throw out, not just here, but in general, and we throw out Harvest or Willow or any church, any church pain, you forget that there's real personal pain in the background. So I'm just curious, uh, other than this kind of being heart wrenching, what did you think when you read these? Well, let me I want to finish her thread because I oh, think it's. I, oh, I'm sorry. I, I think didn't it's, realize it's, I missed a, some. it's a complete thought. And I want to make sure I want to give. Yep. My bad. I didn't see the ones. Yeah. The I want to give all the space for what she wrote. She said it's so hard and sad. We loved and loved the people of Willow so much. We saw a future, a whole life mm. there. It's hard to let that go. We grieve. We ache. We feel it in our bones as it falls apart. I don't know how else to explain it. We chose it. And it became our family. So everything happening now hurts us, too. I'm with Willow and each of you as you seek truth. Wow. Thanks for finishing that. So, so you know, my uh, my wife and I actually big fans of the Carters. And one of the things that I find so remarkable about their social media presence in particular is how consistently raw and honest they seem is to be. Right? They really are. And Sarah, for a long time, has been very, very articulate in kind of helping pull back the veil of like, you may have heard this at the press release or you saw this on video online somewhere, but here's kind of the nitty gritty of how this actually feels just as a human person grieving all the stuff that she's talking about, this loss of family, this loss of dreams for what you had hoped yeah. this would become. Like all of that is so visceral and so real. And I, I would love to see not only more church leaders have the courage to voice this kind of vulnerability, but to see a healthy dialogue, a healthier dialogue when people in our churches do voice things like this, because it feels like, and maybe this is just in the last year in Chicagoland in particular, it becomes a whole lot more about how do we mitigate and how do we control narratives and how do we make sure the information goes to the right people, not to someone, you know, like there's just an honesty to what she's sharing here that I know, and you can read the responses She's not alone in this, and not just in Chicagoland. There, yeah. there are people from all over the world who are saying, that describes exactly how I felt when my church fell apart yep. 15 years ago. In fact, some of those wounds are still very, very real and very, very raw. And I think what you were saying at the very beginning, that it's easy when it's not 
your organization or your church family to say, you know, to kind of step back and only see it from a 30,000 perspective, but to remember, gosh, these are individual families yep. and small groups and neighborhoods and communities. And there's hopes and dreams and emotions tied up in all of that. Yep. And that at the very least means I think that we need to be all the more diligent about speaking truth to power and also giving people real authentic space to share their own pain and grief. Mm. Because I think when we fail to do both of those, we almost always inevitably end up in spaces that just don't honor God. I think that's well put. For me, it's a reminder of the, uh, the far reaching pain and effects when, when churches uh, fall apart due to, you know, due to sin and due to whatever other reasons. And again, uh, I'm guilty of being able to think of all the things that have gone on with Willow or Harvest or any church, right? And just think of it in terms of the church, uh-huh. uh, like it, like there are, like it's not the church being made up of people, right? And she's going, "Hey, we gave our life to this place, and uh, and your actions like have caused pain so far reaching." And really, right. you can kind of hear a little bit underneath it. I think she doesn't so much say it right out unless I missed it, but like you can almost hear her pleading with Bill Hybels, like, "Can we get a? I'm sorry." Yeah, can let's we get, make this can right. We get something, some contrition, uh, some she, confession, something. It's heartbreaking to, to the way she frames it as like I'm tucking my kids in and right. they're, they're struggling with this. Which is such a beautiful way to describe it. Beautiful in a really heart wrenching way yeah. too, because we often hold up these Christian leaders, you know, as sort of these they epitomize for us like strength and courage yeah. and wisdom in a lot of ways, rightfully so. I mean, I think the Carters just together have an incredible capacity to lead, mm. lead and care for people well. But then to also, you get this visual of like, oh, she's also, she's a mom. A mom. And a, yep. and a wife whose heart is broken and has to still like tuck her kids in. And I think we need to remember that um, more often than we often do, I think, when it comes yeah. to like the people in, in Christianity that we, we look to as, as a, you know, a leader. Absolutely. So I wanted to bring that to you uh, as it deals with stuff that we talk about here. Often would love to have your response at the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, an article out of Christianity Today that says the in, the inspirational, interdenominational, multi-congregational ministry movement. We're going to talk about what that is. Coming up next on the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today on this Thursday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Thank you uh, for those of you who do that. And uh, go ahead and share it with someone or leave a review uh, that helps us. Uh, in multiple ways that we're not 100% sure of, but we are thankful for them. What are the multiple ways? that I don't know. What, I'm sure there's multiple ways. You're, sh- you're sure of that? Positive. I feel like <laughs> that is not accurate. So Christianity Today wrote an article. Uh, Amy Simpson at Christianity Today wrote an article uh, entitled The Inspirational Interdenominational Multi-Congregational Ministry Movement. So, uh, in this article, she tells some stories about churches working together. What what is uh, what is your takeaway so far from this article? Oh, I have no idea. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> so when four churches in Amarillo, Texas, it said joined forces, their city took notice. Central Church of Christ, First Baptist Church, First Presbyterian Church, and the Polk Street United Methodist Church are all large, long-established churches in the downtown area, and together they for they form for Amarillo, Amarillo, 
Man, I really am struggling reading today. <laughs> a cross-denominational partnership that started with a friendship between two pastors. I want you to hear that again. These four churches formed for Amarillo, a cross-denominational partnership that started with a friendship between two pastors. This friendship grew to four, and the pastors' relationships developed, and they learned how much they had in common theologically. They began to meet regularly. They discovered opportunities for cooperation around a shared sense of mission. Now the four churches worship together twice a year at Thanksgiving and on Monday, Thursday, in a unified service hosted by one of the four. Each summer, they join forces for a stay-at-home mission experience, which is a local project that ministers to their city, rebuilding a house, renovating apartments, and things like that. Each summer, they work together to lead vacation Bible school programs in two local elementary schools. So let me stop on that part of the story. I guess it, the two questions I would ask is, uh, do you find this story inspirational? And what is it that makes this story so unique? Because it seems like something a lot of churches would do. Well, this is a lot of what our own New Thing Network actually is doing. Creating, Yeah, creating, we call them catalyst communities. And it is exactly this, building bridges among like-minded churches, even if they denominationally don't align on everything. Sometimes mm. even especially if, to be honest, we have catalyst communities in Chicago, but we have them literally throughout the world where we're helping kind of to facilitate a lot of what they're yes. doing. And I like the idea of actually celebrating together twice a year. I think that's uh, a unique idea. But I think one of the things I learned from John Armstrong, who is the founder of uh, Act 3, um, which later became the initiative, he, uh, you know, in a lot of ways is sort of like the the granddaddy of the neo-ecumenism. He, he would call it missional ecumenism. Okay. And every three years or so, we had this gathering at Mundelein Seminary, and we'd had people, uh, Protestant and Catholics, uh, both from the U.S. and all across the world, and the effort was, how, how can we build better unity among Christ's bride, the church? Mm. And I remember one of those gatherings, and again, it's Protestant and Catholic leaders. One of the guys stood up and said, you know, when we can't have theological unity, we can't have relational unity. When we can't have doctrinal ecumenism, we can have relational ecumenism. And that's kind of what this, what I think this article is kind of getting at. Like, it starts with relationships, which is what made John Armstrong so brilliant because he's just – He's unbelievably smart, but also really, really good at building relationships. So for us, you know, we're at this gathering where there's literally people coming in from like the Vatican. Like, really, I, I had no business being there. Let me just put it that way. Like yeah. there were so many heavy hitters, but we were there because of John, because of his heartbeat to see hmm. the church come together in a, in a more cohesive, strategic way. And I think starting with a relationship rather than like what we often talk about where we often start with our disagreements mm. or we start with some theological nuance that divides us or that, you know, I could never have coffee with that pastor. He believes in this and yeah. they, they celebrate that. Like beginning with the posture of relational ecumenism, I think is a lot of what they're doing. And that's part of what I find so inspirational. And why do we think that doesn't happen a lot? What makes that difficult within a town, right? We, we all serve in cities yeah. where there's a lot of churches, um, and I would think uh, more this doesn't more times than not this sort of thing doesn't happen. Yeah, uh, why not? I think one relationships are inefficient. Mm. They take time. Like to really do relational ministry, to really love people well, all of that takes way more time than it does to write yeah. an email or to make a post or whatever. Even good things, even build strategies yeah. or a spreadsheet. I think relationships require a ton of energy. But I think it also, a lot of it comes down to just intentionality. I don't think most pastors I know are like, I am here in this church and I am actively making sure I never interact with any of these other churches. <laughs> it's more like, that's not on my radar, right? Yeah. Like, you know what it's like. You're, totally. Most of the emails you're getting throughout a week are from people 
in your in church. church. The guy yes. from the church next door is not complaining to you about the volume of the worship band right. or the font size on the screen. It's people already there. Yeah. And if we're not careful, I think 100% of our effort could very easily become consumed with just mm. the people right here. And that, you know, on the surface is maybe not a terrible thing, but I think to think ecumenically, to build relationships. I mean, think about your busy week. Yeah. So I was like, all right, twice a month now, I want you to carve out two hours for a breakfast between you and 15 other local area pastors. Mm-hmm. Most pastors are probably going to ask like, is that worth it? Yes. Like, I, I think we don't necessarily have a healthy ROI about why that's so important. Like, mm. oh, that's a lot of sermon prep time that I could be using, you know? Yeah, and I think yeah. we need to elevate the value of why ecumenism, why building these bridges is actually really, really important. Uh, let me just play, I always hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway, play devil's advocate. How dare you advocate for the devil? Is there a time where where you go, no, we can't link arms with that organization around a mission? It might not be theological, right? But maybe. Yeah. Uh, helping, or is it like no on something like mission? All bets are off. Go for it and build those bridges. Uh, what would your thoughts be about that? What would be an example of like a like a misalignment chasm so big that somebody wouldn't link arms? Uh, how about our evangelical church and the Muslim mosque down the road? Oh, so it is theological then. Sure, but but we're talking about like linking arms in relationship and mission. So not like we're we're, we're gathering to worship together. Uh, I think you have strong feelings about that. So go ahead and speak to this. I'm trying <laughs> I'm, to tee up a little I'm bit. I'm being here. baited here. I'm I just know. Like, yeah, I'm. I, maybe I'm not the right person to ask this. Well, I, I think you are my, the right person. Uh, yeah. My boundaries are maybe <laughs> maybe further stretched than others mm. would be comfortable with. Um, you know, for in the example of our you know Muslim neighbors, both of our holy books talk about love of neighbor, right? Yep. And I think maybe part of the way that we love our neighbors is that we love people that don't look or talk, or act, or mm. think, or vote, or believe like we do, I think that's what's often problematic, is we just assume, like, oh, I lo- loving my neighbor means loving the people that I already kind of love. Yeah. If Jesus teaches us anything, he actually has a whole lot more to say about how we are to treat the person that we perceive maybe as a threat, mm. or an enemy, and if the purpose is, hey, what if we loved our neighborhood together? Yeah. I, to me, I think... I think God would smile at that. I think that that could very well move the mission of Jesus forward. And, you know, what linking together looks like. Yeah. I mean, I imagine the nitty gritty people were like, oh, what do we do when it comes to prayers or which building do we meet in? I, I think those logistics are worth working through. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I think that could send a powerful message to the communities at large, especially the ones that see Christians only as divisive. Yeah, I, I, I think you put it a good way there. It, it sends a message and it's worth having those conversations and trying to get through those things. Right. Whereas most of us are probably like, nope, can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't and and the nope is usually out of some kind of trepidation or fear. Yes, yes, to reaction or just how it's going to go. Right, or, but I do think you're right. I think what mostly stops us for churches is just we just get lost in our own little world at right. all times. Right. But I think I mean they're writing an article here because it's a powerful movement. Uh-huh. There's powerful things going on, and so 100%. Uh, as churchgoers out there, we'd encourage you have that conversation within your church, and uh, and hopefully there'll be some stories that come out of it. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about just a hilarious tweet that I saw going around (laughs) that you and I are going to play the game. We're going to play the game of this tweet. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to talk about a tweet here. We'll let you all think about this while I read something. But think about this tweet. 
Who do you all think would have had the best Twitter account out of everybody in the Bible? And I That's love funny. it. It's just this guy at Jacob Falcon 23. He's got, you know, a couple hundred followers or something. He put this out there and it's kind of flying around the Internet right now. Like I've seen all these answers going. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to have that conversation. So who do you all think would have would have had the best Twitter account out of everybody in the Bible? But before we talk about that, uh, let me talk about my pillow. I have an exclusive offer for our listeners just in time for the holidays. If you buy a set of Giza cotton sheets from MyPillow, you'll get the second set free. Two for one. Not only that, but you'll get free shipping. If you add anything else to you or add anything else to you order, like my pillows, mattress toppers, towels, anything, those items will ship for free as well. Huh. Hey, common good listeners, you can get deep discounts on all my pillow products, but you have to use the promo code WY. L L Y the face. Does it say deep discounts? It does. Deep discounts. I don't know deep how discounts. I feel about that. Uh, anyway, there's more. Oh, there's more. All <laughs> products have a 60-day money-back guarantee. My wife and I, we we got some of the pillows. They are wonderful. Comes with a 10-year guaranteed warranty. So go to mypillow.com. Promo code W Y L L. Let me see it real quick. Okay, where's the beginning of this? At okay, the top. if you buy a set <laughs> a set of Giza cotton sheets, yes. So are you buying these because you're starting to feel like a Giza? Ah, I see what you did no? there. No. That's no, so dumb. That Don't encourage okay. me. Don't no. encourage me. I, 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 I want you to keep going with these. Well, <laughs> here's what we talked about before this. We said that the tweet that went out was called, Who do you all think would have had the best Twitter account out of everybody in the Bible? I just And the responses to these, to be honest with you, are hilarious. Uh, so <laughs> take it whichever way you want, either some of the responses or how would you answer the question? Oh, first, how I'd answer, uh, it'd be Eglin. Eglin, please, yeah. please uh, elaborate. Do, do you know who Eglin is? I do not have the first idea. John, do you know who Eglin is? Yeah. Do you know Eglin? <laughs> king Eglin. King Eglin. He's, I can't believe was, that's where you went. He's the king of Moab. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, Boy, if I had a day, I would start. Uh, Yeah, I think it was uh, Ehud, right? Tried to try to stab him, and uh, the the king was so fat that it swallowed up the handle. And I think he'd talk about that on Twitter in some pretty funny ways. There you go. I'd follow. I'd follow that account. How about you? I mean, now that you went there, I was just going to be like Peter. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but Peter would be awesome, right? You'd constantly be like, you'd be like denying things, like oh, I didn't do that. Yeah, he'd Somebody be hacked my account. He'd be the politician. Or other time. times, like I'm sorry, I was just being impulsive. Uh, or you'd be like, poor Peter. By the way, that's yeah. the only thing we ever talk about when it comes to him. Or like after he has the encounter with Jesus, there's in the beginning, there's going to be all these emojis of fish because they caught all these fish. <laughs> I feel like you've really thought about this. I did. There you, there you go. What are some of the other ones? Some funny ones. Uh, well, I want to read one. I'm trying to find ones that don't have swear words because it's a tough go on this that's one. Probably this one's pretty funny though. Uh, Delilah would not tweet much, but boy would she be wildly popular on Instagram. Sexy shots with vague passive aggressive platitudes in the caption about you can't fa- find a man that will trust you. If you can't handle me at my worst, don't deserve me at my best. 1.5 million likes. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. What about this one? We're just going to read these people. This is going to be hard-hitting right now. How about this one? Lot's wife was pretty salty, but was a pillar of the community. Oh, that person's my hero. My goodness. Do you have other ones that are your favorites? Uh, yeah. He, this person wrote, Lazarus, hands down, my man died and came back. <laughs> Ooh, let's go Old Testament again. Um, who's the guy? Oh, I remember hearing a sermon on Benaniah. Do you know who Benaniah no, is? No, my Wheaton education is not helping here. Benedict, do you know who Benaniah is? 
Not my last name, but uh, no, I don't know who that is. He's uh, he's described as uh, he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Oh yeah, it's literally like how it's described. And like, because I know that when I when I kill lions, the snow is the hardest part of that entire endeavor. I just think <laughs> that's someone day. who would have a really really. Uh, Interesting Twitter account. <laughs> this person wrote Abraham because he would have wrote, tried to kill my son today. Oh hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, I'm a bad father. <laughs> this is a really dangerous segment for us to be doing. Oh, it's too good. These are funny. <laughs> Let's see. What else is Joe, safe to read Joe here? tweets his GoFundMe every week. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Go ahead. This is going to be the last segment we ever do. <laughs> Uh, that one's got a swear word. That one's got a swear word. <laughs> David's Twitter handle would probably be at Young Giant Slayer. <laughs> That's funny. Um, is this one safe? Probably not. Go Noah, ahead. you want animal pics? I'll give them to you two by two. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. I feel like this is just people's opportunity to offer up Bible puns, and said, I am here this for is why all of I wanted it. to do this. Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would just tweet fire emojis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, see, I can't do the Bathsheba one. Nope. Probably nope. can't do the Hagar one. Nope. Oh, we were in the same place here. Does this make for good radio? Just us, <laughs> me and you, scrolling there's Twitter? A, there's a picture of a guy being licked by a lion, and it says Daniel in the lion's den. Oh, my God. <laughs> a selfie of Daniel with a lion. This was pretty Ooh. funny. John the Baptizer would just be subtweeting Herod and yelling at everyone. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, do you know who John the Baptist is, Brian? Yes, I That's do. A, is that a name you recognize? You gave me an easy one. <laughs> Oh. Okay, here's I want to try an, ex, uh, an existential question now. Why do you think questions like this are actually so wildly popular on platforms like Twitter? Because I imagine a bunch of people writing these are like, yeah, I was handed all these Bible stories as a kid, and I got some of that knowledge still click-clacking around in my brain. I don't believe in any of it anymore, but I yep. it's still fun for them to like weigh in on this. Like, what what is it about this question that has gone sort I mean, of it's gone crazy. viral? Right? What about it? I don't know. I'm I'm curious why you think that is. I think I think there's not a lot that people do with the Bible that's funny, you know. <laughs> and so this is just legitimately that's funny, interesting. and it brings up modern day culture. Like, it's a good mix of Bible with just the silliness of Twitter. And so to kind of to kind of superimpose one upon the other, I think just makes for great laughter. The cow from the manger. It was named Devin. What is that a joke? I don't know. Is there something there that we're not getting? I don't know what that one means. Mary Magdalene hands down spilling tea on the disciples and telling all of Jesus's business. <laughs> Careful. Oh boy. Oh, Adam would just say, "I'm the first. <laughs> Oh, Elijah, that would be a good one. He'd just be using Twitter to taunt all the prophets of Baal. That'd be fun. We haven't asked PJ. We haven't asked our producer. If you got to choose one Twitter account from a Bible character. I was thinking John, but post-Jesus. So when he got the re- revelation. Oh. There's no such thing as post-Jesus. He's, <laughs> he's, he's just he's, out there he's, at most. He's, he's, no, just, no, he's, just, he's, the, he's the crazy conspiracy theory guy on Twitter, posting all these crazy things that he got a vision from God. If it was a movie, Nicolas Cage would probably play him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, you got time for one more. You got to find one more. I I am not confident in my ability to find one that's safe for radio. <laughs> Somebody posted one here. It you says, can censor it. Come it on. says the rich young ruler on Twitter, and then they have a gif, which we learned is gosh, it's funny, right? It's not gosh, it's funny, people. They just have a gif of Donald Trump going, "I'm really rich <laughs> for oh, the rich young ruler." Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't feel confident in my ability to 
censor any more of these. Well, we'll, we'll, we would love to hear some of your answers. Yeah, that would be funny. We would love to hear some of your answers. Who would... I just caught up to you on the thread here because I just came to the cow with Devin. I don't know what that means either. Uh, If you could could follow the Twitter account of any one Bible person, one one character in the Bible, uh, who would it be? It's just a fun thing to go running through, so uh, we would do it. I would end you with this one. This person said, Balaam's talking donkey. Oh, boy. (laughs) Somebody else has put Jesus, duh. (laughs) So every question about the Bible, you have to go, other than Jesus. (laughs) Right, right. Who would you do? This is maybe the weirdest segment we've done. It was, but that was fun. That gave me good laughs, at least, so. Coming up next, we're going to talk about in a former NBA superstar, somebody really popular on TV, issuing an apology and what he apologized for. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, we have reached a new level of insanity with that last segment about the Twitter poll of who would you, what Bible character would you want to be? Um, Mine's Eglin. <laughs> You're right back to Eglin. <laughs> just a fun, fun name to say. I do know that story. I didn't know the name, so that's good. I'm here to help, Ryan. My profs at Wheaton are so mad at me right now. I don't think they're mad about that. I think they're just fine. <laughs> you planted a church. You never have a radio show. Ryan's doing perfect. So we want to talk about something that Charles Barkley said, an apology he made. But before we do, tell us about a concert that is coming. Not just a concert, Brian. So we had him on last week right. or earlier this week. or all bleeds together. Anyway, so Go Promoters. You can learn more at gopromoters.com. They're introducing what's called the Underground. So Underground, Go Underground is... Uh, the mission is to have concerts, but in places that we often don't think of when we think of Christian concerts. So it's not at a church. It's not like a convention center. They're going to be at bars. So here's what's going on there. Jesus lived in his community, spending time with all kinds of people. And our team at AM 1160 wants to challenge you to engage with your neighbors in a context where they're probably comfortable. Christian metal band Disciple. I don't know if you're familiar with Disciple, by the way. Not at all. They're fantastic. All right. Like I'm telling you, I've seen them on festivals. They're an incredible live show. They're coming to Q Bar in Glendale Heights December 6th on their Love Letter Kill Shot Tour. They'll be sharing their faith throughout the concert, and you could have opportunities to talk about uh, your journey and your hope in Jesus afterwards. AM 1160 and Go Underground is offering a special challenge for AM 1160 listeners to invite a friend to come with you to the show. Get this. For free. Free. It was like free. You love free. Just visit 1160hope.com slash disciple to receive one free ticket for your friend. Tickets are available starting at $10 at itickets.com. There you go. Well, Charles Barkley, you're aware. Charles Barkley is a oh, yeah, Chuck Bar- Hall, yeah. Hall, Hall of Fame uh, basketball player for the Philadelphia 76ers, the Phoenix Suns, the Houston Rockets. Uh but as if you could be uh, kind of bigger than than even a Hall of Fame basketball player, he has turned into probably the number one um, basketball studio guy. Like everyone loves Charles Barkley. Part of what they love about Charles Barkley is kind of his irreverence, and he's just yeah, very much like I don't care, whatever. And he's hilarious. Uh, so the other day, and, and I saw this story when I don't even know the take on this, but we're going to read it and uh, then have a little conversation about this. Uh, the other night, Axios reporter Alexi McCammond uh, tweeted about an interaction with Charles Barkley in which Barkley responded to an innocuous question by saying, I don't hit women, but if I did, I'd hit you. 
When McCammon said that was offensive, Barkley accused her of not being able to take a joke. So she went on Twitter and kind of went through it all. uh, And the thread sparked plenty of conversation. uh, And then Barkley, just the other day, through Turner Sports PR, issued a short apology when he said, My comment was inappropriate and unacceptable. It was an attempted joke that wasn't funny at all. There's no excuse for it. And I apologize. She retweeted the apology from her account where she's also shared some of the harassment she's received for reporting what happened. And so um, a a weird story when I read it, because Charles Barkley, this is kind of what he's known for. This crossed a line, um, Mm. but kind of what he's known for. And uh, and uh, um, but I think we'd both agree this one probably crossed a line, right? Yeah, not probably. It definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Crossed a line. Is it not and not that we are even the ones to judge his apology, but when I read his apology, I thought to myself, uh, somebody who's known for being a joker, all yeah. this is, hey, I was joking and this one fell flat. Is that a good apology for you? Does that work for you? Uh, if that was all that he said, that would not have worked. Okay. But he says my comment was inappropriate and unacceptable. It was an attempted joke that wasn't funny at all. There's no excuse for it. And I apologize. Yep. So I don't know why he put that middle sentence there. I think it would be a much more straightforward apology without that middle sentence. Yep. But because it's couched in the other two where he says, hey, there's no there's no excuse. Maybe for him, he was wanting to make sure people understood, like, I am not at all yeah. advocating for this. Or maybe this is just his PR team making sure that he says <laughs> the right. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it's yeah, hard for me to yeah. even believe the authenticity of superstars, to be honest, because I know they have an entire team of people around them crafting every word and verb. And so that that makes it. For me, that's always a little bit of an asterisk. Like, I don't know that I even totally can buy this, but yeah. it's just, I don't know, it's just incredibly, incredibly inappropriate, especially for someone who, you know, we like you were saying, has been elevated to this limelight. And even if you're a known, like the guy, Shane Gillett, right, who got cut from the SNL cast yeah. before he even started, and that's a... That's a comedy troupe, yep, right? And they're yep. like, no, what, what you, what we have records of you saying so inappropriate. Uh, we're not even going to give you a shot at this. Like, I know that he's known for this, and this is, he's sort of edgy. But that was sort of Shane's argument. He's like, hey, this is what comedians do, and yeah, and maybe there's different permissions for comedians. Maybe that's an interesting discussion. That like, does it depend on the context? You know, if this was, I don't know, who's like a well-known, like sort of edgy, like if this was Bill Burr. Would he lose his job over this? Would there be any kind of outrage on Twitter? Probably not, I guess. But maybe that's a problem. Maybe because people, you know, they're in a particular line of work. We're like, ah, they get a pass to say whatever horrible, awful thing they want because he is a comedian after all. So, you know, can't tell him no. Like, I don't don't know. I'm I'm curious how you think this would play out if it was a different profession or even not a different profession. Like, that was one of my thoughts, too. Like, if, like... Some like just reporter said this to someone and it came out like something about Charles Barkley. This is just going to fly over. Like, I don't think this is going to have any legs to it anymore. You and I have talked a lot about the whole cancel culture thing, right? Like some people, if they said something like this and it came out, it would be and there's video of it. It would be like, nope, you're done. Yeah. You're done. Charles Barkley, I don't think this is going to change anything. You're probably Hopefully right. He's genuinely repentant. I and hope stuff. so. Uh, but he'll still be as irreverent because that's kind of his thing. And I think your your example about the comedians, I think certain big comedians, y- you know, they're not people know what makes money. So if they did something, huh. they're like, well, OK, thank you for saying sorry. We forgive you. Right. And I wonder in the church world, is this how it works, too? Is this how <sighs> Good question. certain pastors make it? You know, we we end up going, wow, people have been saying they did X or Y, not to relate it to Charles Barkley, totally different circumstance. But yeah. You know, a certain pastor did X or Y or had this sort of attitude or this mm. sort of posture for 20 years and nothing came of it. And you're like, how does that happen? 
is the answer that we make excuses for. Well, that's just his personality, but man, can he preach, or man, can he write, or man, can she yeah. do this? Uh, and is that really problematic? I think it's problematic. I've experienced that firsthand with the first church that I worked at out of college. And I mentioned some of this even at the Lyft conference that there was after the lead pastor was removed. And I won't even get into the reasons as to why all of these stories started to emerge just in general uh, about some of the stuff that they had observed. None of it criminal, but certainly like a pattern emerged. And I would ask people like if that was the stuff that you did see that you did know why didn't you leave or why didn't you do something about it? And like nine times out of 10, the answer was, ah, but he's such a good preacher. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's really haunting that we do give a pass and we do this in sports and we do this in entertainment. If it's someone that I really like, I even yes. heard some comedians talking about this issue, like guys that are a little more blue, a little more button pushing. They said, the only reason we're able to still do this is because we establish ourselves before this kind of current cultural moment. Yeah. There's no way, this is their words, not mine, that a comedian could come up right now delivering the kind of material that I did 15, 20 years ago that I established my career on. And I thought, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Like this comment from Barkley is completely inappropriate, totally unacceptable. And I, it bums me out there at the very end of it where it says, uh, she received a bunch of harassment for reporting it in the first place. What is the thinking there? Like why, like people are accusing her of just wanting a 15 minutes of fame moment or I don't, that bums me out because yeah. that that shows such a such a disconnect of what it's like to hear something like that um, and to feel powerless and to feel yeah. like, well, he's a celebrity and I'm, you know, compared to him, I don't have any authority or leverage. I don't know that that part frustrates me almost as much as the whole story. For in general. sure. For sure. And I would say back to the church world, uh, anytime there is. Um, a double standard, yeah, uh, right. different different standards for different people based on their persona, their speaking ability, mm-hmm. their uh, their popular whatever. Uh, I think we hopefully have learned our lesson. I'm pretty confident we haven't in the church world, but hopefully we've learned our lesson <laughs> that that ends up real bad, yeah. really badly, because that's how we've gotten to a lot of these places in a lot of these churches, big and small, with these pastors where you're like, how did that happen? Oh, yeah. double standard, double standard. We have to be really careful about that. Well, and it's not even just the double standard. I think we have to go even a step further to have an honest discussion about how we quantify certain gifts over other ones. Oh, that's good. Because we really think, well, our church won't survive unless we have just a an a class communicator like i don't think that's true at all and if we put all of our eggs in that basket we're going to continue to make excuses for the one that has the quote best upfront skills and i just think that is a really really dangerous dichotomy to start yeah. really kind of giving yourself over to well that's good that's a uh, i like how sometimes i grab stories going i don't know where we're going with this and they end up i think in helpful places uh, coming up next, we're going to have a friend of yours in studio, and I'm super excited to talk to him. His name is Philip Alexander. You're going to want to stay with us as we talk to Philip next. That's coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. And 
We are excited to be joined in studio. Sometimes we've got authors or this. Sometimes we just bring in friends. And this mm-hmm. is a friend of yours that mm-hmm. we're excited to talk to. We are joined by Philip Alexander. Philip, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. It's great to be here. If people, Along with my friend Ian here. There you go. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and let it go. Know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah, maybe yeah. by the end, you know, maybe I'll be more friends we with Brian. We haven't spent a lot of time <laughs> together. This is, this, we're teetering on the edge already, I can tell. <laughs> so he drove in all the way from Milwaukee. So thank you what? for doing that. Absolutely. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, first of all, let's get it out of the way. Uh, being from Milwaukee, I know there's going to be a lot of people that are that are skeptical. <laughs> um, Blackhawks fan uh, all the way. You, huge you hockey are what you're fan. Saying. Okay. Huge yes, hockey I am. Fan. Right. Huge hockey fan. My oldest daughter actually plays uh, ice hockey. Uh, proud dad moment this past weekend, by the way. She checked someone. Nice. <laughs> first, first check of the team. First check of the Heck year. Yes. Is it first legal? Ch- no. No. <laughs> Did you stand up in the box? Did you stand up and go uh, check, please? Did you? No, I didn't. Oh, I she, didn't. she ended up in the penalty box. She ended up in the penalty oh, box. I would have cried through that whole thing. Tears oh my of gosh. joy. Well, and, and luckily, yes. I was I was running the music, so I, it was like just two steps over. I was like, hey, hey. <laughs> it's, it's, it's your dad on? here. Way yeah. to go. Now, what's funny about this is she's she's a redhead. Okay. She's extremely shy. And hockey, of course, doesn't make sense. You know, shy yeah. kid in, in a mask. Right, right. But, but somehow it it seemed to make sense for her. And, and how old and is she? She's 12. Oh, that's good. So, uh, yeah, the, shy, the shy, <laughs> like the shyest kid on the team. <laughs> that's so funny. Someone. I could have pictured her being like, am I in trouble, Dad? You're like, no, we're going after ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm carrying Absolutely. you out of here on my shoulders. <laughs> I've never been prouder. Yeah, you're my hero. <laughs> that was great. All right, so. Uh, that's not what we're here to talk that's about. That's right. I, well, I mean, we could. We could fill the time just fine. Yeah, I don't good. think we're going to have any trouble. Okay, so people, we'll get into it. You have a, uh, a really colorful history. I do. Doing all sorts of different things. I want to make sure people People know what you're doing right now. Sure. And we'll come back to this a couple other times. But tell me a little bit about Elixir. Yeah. So uh, so a few years ago, started a um, design firm called Elixir Creative. And uh, really, the, the goal was to, to really marry the idea of uh, loving your neighbor mm. um, and really making sure that, you know, we as a design firm, um, you know, in the secular world, it's customer comes first. Right? Mm, like that's right. the big, big uh, mantra or motto. Um, but we really wanted to make sure that we were coming to a client and saying, you know, what are your goals? Mm. You know, what what are the things that you want uh, to happen when somebody lands on your website? Um, and what are the things, you know, we, we do a lot of research and digital mm. marketing and other things on the back end, but we really wanted to make sure that the customer was being taken care of. And that doesn't mm. just mean giving them the best prices, but it also means really fulfilling the idea that quality is number one, right? Mm. That we're actually doing all things in Christ. And so that That's was kind great. of our thing is making sure that quality was there. Um, you know, quality of design. I heard you guys talking, uh, art stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's that it's making sure that that all of those components are really fulfilled in in our project. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, part of your story is that you went to seminary and got degrees in apologetics and theology. So I'm wondering that journey, seminary apologetics, sure. and now you're at a design firm. Talk about that journey a little bit. Yeah. So uh, interestingly enough, I actually went to art school prior to seminary. Oh wow! And so um, I remember sitting in church one day and really just hearing uh, kind of this non-audible impression thing that was like, yeah, you're really going to do something for the kingdom in this space. Hmm. And I'm like, huh. (laughs) So I guess I got to go to seminary. Right. Now, I don't think that was a God thing that God said, hey, you should go to seminary. Although it's not a bad thing. Right. But I went, did, uh, like like you said, uh, degrees in apologetics and theology and met some great people. I met Ian along the way, in fact. Um Got to speak along some amazing people as well. Uh, did a lot of conferences and talks and other things. And it kind of got to the point where um, it, it 
different talks, different things that we were doing kept coming back to the art space. Mm. And that was really the calling that I, that I had felt, um, very strong compared yeah. to a lot of the other things that uh, that I was doing. And so it just kind of made sense that, you know, rather than constantly being pulled and tugged in different directions, okay, we're going to do an apologetics talk this weekend, lead Sunday school here, and now all of a sudden I've got to still kind of scramble up and do all this other stuff. Hmm. Um, we uh, decided to start a firm. Wow. And so um, not so much leaving apologetics completely, yeah. but that's not going to be my my gig yeah. to yeah bring money in well, as you guys know i mean ministry it's not this, this is my question though, because I, I feel like uh stereotypically those who are like in the apologetics lane and those who are in sort of like the artist creative lane yeah, right. like hardly ever intersect right. and you're this unique person yeah. who has this love and affection but also like a proclivity towards both of them can you talk sure. to me a little bit about that like intersection of like art and creativity and theology doctrine and apologetics yeah i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> Great, next. Like, could you answer that for me i wish i could um, no i don't know it, i mean my big thing i mean i'm i'm add to the max so that's mm. part of it so that mm. i think helps in you know the creative <laughs> space um you know it's it's funny because you know we we do we do tons of different things i mean we worked with northwest Mutual Residio, which used to be Honeywell Home, but then also smaller churches and different things. Right. And it, the reason that I came to to faith was because of apologetics, and so I think mm. that's really the connection. Mm. Um, but I never left the love and the desire of arts, right? right. And so every pe- presentation that I ever gave always had like these big, powerful animations and things in it. You know, you're talking <laughs> from stage, and there's more going on on the screen behind me than it's coming out of my mouth. But um, <laughs> but that's okay, right? Like uh-huh. that's just who I am, and you know, it kind of is what it is. But yeah. Um, but yeah, but it, but apologetics is really how I came to Christianity. Got it. Yeah. Right? Reading that first um, Lee Strobel book. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, to the point, you know, many, many years later, being humbled enough to be on stage with Lee Strobel and talking alongside him is just, wow. you know, it's a dream. Right. That's wild. I was going to ask you about that. What is that like to speak about apologetics by Lee Strobel <laughs> or others? Yeah, well, no, it sounds like a story there as well. Yeah. We, so we had uh, we had a conference up in the Milwaukee area. It was the Evangelical Philosophical Society. Um and so we had a, a pre-session, and uh, I don't even remember what our talk was on now. I think it was on um, symptomatic apologetics, so this idea that you're always trying to come up with something um, in theology or, or some type of defense for the mm-hmm. faith based on mm-hmm. something that, that is going on. Um, and so really the idea was, you know, we, we shouldn't be defensive. We should be proactive, mm-hmm. right? We should understand the, the gospel narrative inside and out. We should understand our Bibles inside and out so that we don't have to constantly be on the defense. Right. And, um, and, but it's like right after my talk is Lee Strobel on the main stage, followed by, you know, <laughs> William Lane Craig and JP Moreland and, you know, all these other heavy hitters. Yeah. And it's, I got 300 plus people packed into this little tiny space. And mm. it's like, yeah, my knees are knocking a little bit. Yes. <laughs> you, you never know who's going to walk in. Like, no you know, kidding. Lee Strobel's, you know, hanging out in the back. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing. He's just, so. he's just staring Lee Strobel's in the back, just shaking yeah, his right. head. <laughs> like a little check mark on the clipboard. Yes. Yeah, it meant nothing. He just has a tick or something. <laughs> you found that we're, out later. We're praying for you, Lee. Uh, okay, so we were talking the beginning of the show actually about just some of the divisiveness that we see in politics and theology right now, yeah. and it feels like now more than ever and maybe i'm just paying attention to it more than i have in the past but like you talk about like existing in these spaces where you're helping christians have a better grasp and understanding and i imagine people don't all come to a conference with the 
exactly align theology and doctrine. Like, how do right. you now navigate or coach others to navigate like really divided like confirmation bias echo chambers the stuff that kind of keeps us in our in our camps and tribes like how can we have a better dialogue in the midst of all that chaos yeah well and it really is amazing isn't it yeah Mm -hmm. we've kind of gotten to that point um it's interesting a few years ago uh, i started doing counseling specifically for Mm -hmm. college kids high school kids that were walking away from christianity and i remember the first few i don't know how many kids but you know numerous conversations that we had it was me doing all the talking like okay oh you don't believe in bible okay well here here you go here's here's our 25 top points Uh oh you don't believe in jesus all right here's the top 25 points Hmm. it's just me talking the entire time right and it got to a point um where i think i had a cold Hmm. and all of a sudden i'm not able to do as much talking (laughs) it's amazing how god works right yes yeah and all of a sudden i'm doing a lot more listening yeah not because i wanted to but because i had to right and all of a sudden i realize it had nothing to do with the argument I mean, in that particular case, but mm-hmm. you know, it had nothing to do with the argument. It had everything to do with some type of baggage that was in their life, right? right. If it was a, a pastor that hurt them, uh, you know, other individuals in the church, whatever it may be, you know, it was a situation that I, me talking was not going to solve anything. Right. Yeah. And so I kind of wonder if, you know, when we look at culture today, we look at all of these different scenarios and all of these different people kind of at odds with one another. I mean, mm-hmm. Facebook is like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's like the brewing place of a lot of this stuff. Right. I wonder if maybe we just be quiet. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, when my two kids are at it, you know, one's volleyball, one's yeah. one's hockey, you know, which one's <laughs> right. better. Right. That's not what they're arguing about. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but whatever it is. It's like sometimes as a parent, you're just like, you know what? You guys need to be quiet. Go to your own rooms. Mm -hmm. Think about, you know, whatever it is that this argument even started Mm. and go from there. And I wonder as society, you know, in society, I wonder if we need to kind of do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. That's good. That's good. You listen to Philip Alexander, a partner at Elixir Creative, a design firm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but got all sorts of things he's interested in a lot of background. So he's going to stay here. We're going to talk some more. That's what we're going to do next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. We are joined for a second segment by Philip Alexander. Philip is a partner at Elixir Creative, a design firm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, he's also got a theology degree, apologetics degrees, all sorts of things that make me feel like I haven't done enough in my life. So <laughs> <laughs> We feel that way most of the time. I know, the guests every are time here. we bring a guest yeah. in, then we talk to each other. We're like, no, we're good. Oh, we're okay. good. <laughs> so before the break, you were talking about something piqued my interest. You said, when I counsel high school and college kids who are walking away from the faith. Yeah. Uh, I want to hear more about that. Like, what's that set up? But also, what are you hearing as to, is there a common thread? This is why they're walking away from the faith. What are some of the things you're hearing? Yeah, it, I mean, the common is that, um, in fact, I, I'm, I've been starting to work on a book because I think that it it's something that there's so much. Yeah. So the common is, thread, I guess, is freedom as soon as that um a kid goes to college right mm-hmm. there's a certain level of freedom right um they don't have to follow their uh, their parents faith anymore gotcha um they don't have to live by their parents rules they get to do whatever they want they live live on dorm they get to have people over if they want they mm. get to listen to their friends a heck of a lot more right um there's so many different things mm. that, that are at play um of course you've got uh atheist college professors that are definitely at play um you know there's the smallest spark in the imagination of maybe god's not real all of a sudden can go down that um, sure. That rabbit trail, but right. I think that you know it's the freedom, it's morality being up for grabs, it's it's all of these different things that are, um, you know, at work in in, yeah. in in the life of a you know 
susceptible uh, individual. Yeah, right? no kidding. All right, so you, you gave us some talking points here, and one of them just says plumber story. <laughs> <laughs> and I have so many questions, but yeah, I'd love to know right, what, right. what is that all about? Yeah, so the I guess the precursor to that is the idea that we as Christians should be doing a better job of putting quality first. Yep. Mm. And so we, we kind of make sure that that's something that we're really doing um, in the creative space um, mm. for, uh, for Elixir. And, uh, but the plumber story, essentially, a friend of mine um, had told me that uh, it's going to sound like hearsay, which I think is a <laughs> big buzzword right now in the news. Uh, a friend of mine told me about a friend of his. Mm-hmm. That was Sounds a pl- legit. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a plumber. Yeah. Okay. And he had an apprentice that was working for him. And uh, the apprentice did was under the sink, doing all of this plumbing work to try and reroute dishwasher and, and main sink and the air gap and all of these fun things. Any, any plumber out there is probably like nodding their head knowing mm-hmm. what we're talking about. I I know that there's pipes under there. <laughs> right. Um, I didn't even know yes. that much. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it magically yeah, was magic to me. Water right. comes there was like water gnomes underneath that collected it and yeah, carried right, it away. Right. Um, in newer houses, that's the right. way it works. <laughs> I, think it, I think you're right. Um, but basically what happened, um, this, this apprentice kind of goes in, and the master plumber is supposed to go in and kind of double-check all the work. Right. And the apprentice did everything correctly. Met the code beautifully. It was fine. In fact, I believe it may have already been signed off by the uh, the plumbing inspector. Hmm. But the master plumber comes over as a Christian, and he looks at it, and he goes, you know, we can do better. Hmm. Rips it all out, starts over, and the the owner, the, the homeowner, who was not a Christian, comes over and is like, what in the world are you doing? Like, <laughs> everything was signed off. Right. Like, it, it was fine. Hmm. And he goes, well, as a Christian, I want to make sure that the quality is beyond measure. Wow. Hmm. And it's like... We already met all the standards, right? Wow. Whatever that basic minimum standard is, and yet he wanted to make sure that it was beyond measure. That's and incredible. So that's one of those things that, I mean, when we talk about being a good witness, you know, it, it doesn't have to just be in the ministry or the mission field, right. so to speak, but it can also be right there in your business. Right. Yeah. So for a plumber to be able to reach out and say, hey, you know what? Jesus was in my heart, you know, we're, we're yeah. plugging through and uh, now Jesus is under your sink. <laughs> right? like, That's awesome. So I yeah. love that. That's really good. So Ian referenced a little behind the scenes. People give us talking points for when they're coming in and to sometimes they're really sterile. Yours are just fascinating. So we're just going <laughs> to keep throwing words at you here. Sweet. Because Sweet. Your first talking point just said shroud of Turin. Oh, yeah. So I want to know, I want to know why you wrote that. <laughs> so I, my mom always told me that anytime that you go somewhere, you always bring something. I thought the bottle of wine was probably not, probably not something that we should do. Wouldn't have turned it down. <laughs> so I didn't bring a bottle of wine, but I thought, you know, I got to make sure that because it's radio, I wanted to make sure that it was something that was, uh, you know, <laughs> so I brought yeah, I brought something visual. I brought a shroud of Turin. So I was, awesome. I was in Rome, and Pope and I are good friends. And I was like, "Hey, can we just can we just borrow this?" Go How did we not open with this? I know. I know. Oh, so um, yeah, no. Well, thank you for the gift. <laughs> you don't get to keep it. It's just a you know. Thank you for the temporary gift. <laughs> yeah, it's just show and tell at this yeah. point, right? It's not actually a gift at all. Which no, it's, totally it's because because I used to do a lot of apologetics talks and stuff, yeah. and because I like to be more visual. It was kind of the idea of like, hey, what do I have that I could bring that we could just. You know, there's something unique. That's I fun. love that. That's so, fun. you know, so See, yeah, we this is why you and I clicked early on, <laughs> which has now been a long while. And I, okay, so it's kind of unavoidable. We talked a little bit during the break, but talk to me about Kanye. You're someone who has like a deep love of theology and apologetics and doctrine, and also a deep love for not just art, but art done well. Yes, correct. And uh, I feel like we're having a cultural moment right now. Yeah. 
Talk to me about your experience watching this whole Kanye thing kind of blow up. Yeah, well, it's it's nuts. I mean, the I think the the most amazing thing in all of this is that Kanye being Kanye, um, you have the potential of having just an absolute cultural upset. Right. Right. And so that I think is fascinating. I, I think we've seen a little bit of it. I'm very I'm both skeptical and not skeptical at yeah. the same time because yeah. I have no idea. But I'm I'm excitedly skeptical i oh, guess all right, right? I'm, I'm hoping that things are gonna that pan out the way that i think they might but <laughs> but who knows but but so then going back to quality and and quality well and being christian and making sure that we're you know good stewards of god's kingdom and mm-hmm. making sure that we're producing good art kanye was on i believe it was jimmy kimmel and he talked about how we as christians need to do a better job of art mm. now of course there was some you know self propping up and right. you know about how he's so great and everything else but he's still kanye i mean that's right. <laughs> right. he refers to his christian scorecard being lower or whatever but <laughs> but what's interesting is he uh he referenced how michelangelo with the sistine chapel and like you know art used to be good and it used to tell theology and it used to have all mm. these things and i and like my mouth dropped when i heard this thing it's like this is on national primetime mm-hmm. television like this mm-hmm. is amazing like and this you know and of course out of anybody he is definitely an individual that'd be yeah. able to make that happen mm. um and then he released his merch on <laughs> on his uh, on his website and and then once again my mouth was you know <laughs> dropping and drooling everywhere i'm like what in the world is that right it is since it has already been taken off of uh, of the website because it was so heavily criticized <laughs> it was it's terrible oh, poor oh my gosh it is so bad and so you know as an artist you know you're looking at this stuff now of course we're not in the same space right um there's no secret like rap tape or something of me out there I mean, i'm gonna find it if there is <laughs> <laughs> there, there might be somewhere um but no you but i mean you look at that and it's like you know he's this this individual that's constantly propping himself up as being like a good artist and really making sure that that is happening and this that and the other i think news just broke recently that he's partnering with dr dre now in his second mm-hmm. jesus is king album yep. and then you look at his merch and you're like Huh? <laughs> what like, are we I looking think, at? <laughs> I, I think that my nine-year-old yeah. might have drawn some of that. <laughs> like it's drawn it. <laughs> tie-dye, and I, it's terrible. Oh, that's oh, boy, funny. No. So, speak to the person there. I, I really love this theme of what you talk about about Christians need to do the best at what they're doing. Yeah. That's kind of so. The guy out there who's like, I'm not an artist. I'm a, an accountant or whatever else. Hmm. Uh, speak to them about doing accounting for the glory of or whatever it is their job is. I really like that message. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up accounting. My wife's an accountant, and then, mm. so as a result, I'm not going to touch accounting because <laughs> smart because I don't. I, I'm sure that I'll say something that's not accurate, and then like I'll get sued or something. Um, but no, I mean it goes back to the plumber, right? I mean it yeah. goes back to this idea of we can do all things for the glory of God, and we should, and we should yeah. do everything as as good as we possibly can. Mm. Um, and so it doesn't matter. If, I guess if you're an accountant, you could try and find as you know much money or something in someone's taxes i don't know right um, <laughs> set that one aside but i mean you know you're a landscaper i mean you're going to make uh-huh. sure that you're able to essentially evangelize to the homeowner yeah. or to whoever hmm. um i mean any of their guests that come to their home they're gonna be like oh my gosh who did your landscaping yeah, right. like, oh it's so and so you know john smith landscaping i don't know if that's a plug for john smith yep, they owe us money now yeah, <laughs> they are, good, good. but you know i mean but it's the idea that now all of a sudden you as a christian are mm. able to say you know we do this for the best yes possible reason and, and of course we show that that's so good that's really good i thank you so much for joining us why don't you Absolutely. give us again your website every way that people can get in touch with you uh-huh. yeah so the easiest thing the the easiest way to spell it is graphic design milwaukee.com okay the, probably the easiest way to get there um you could also go to create with elixir.com 
com. Unfortunately, most people don't know how to spell Elixir, so it kind of is what it is. Really? I mean, I can <laughs> graphic Google. Design Milwaukee is probably the graphic best. GraphicDesignMilwaukee.com or createwithelixir.com. Yes. Guys, I can't encourage you enough to go check it out. You are yeah. a tremendous artist, and I think someone that I think... I'm just glad that you get a chance to be here because I want Absolutely. more people to know about you. Yep. And we're not, we're not saying goodbye. I, does he, he knows he's staying for just the craziest segment <laughs> that we do, right? I'm uh-huh. excited. This and is great. part of what his bio says is he is proficient with an occasional British accent. So oh, we might, that yes. might come mm. into what we're going to do next as well. Might or definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're gonna have to, people are going to need to stay. Keep, oh. keep listening to find out. Good tease, Brian. <laughs> You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. And that music can only mean one thing. It is the end of the show. It is interweb insanity. We're going to do it a little bit differently today. We are. We are. Oh. We have asked our uh, our guest, Philip Alexander, who's been here the last two segments of Elixir Creative. Elixir. 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 I can't, people can't spell it. Graphic I can't say it. That's, that's the answer. <laughs> so Philip is going to stay with us, and he is going to join us for Interweb Insanity, and he does not know what he's getting himself into. <laughs> Before the last commercial, I said that he has a British accent that he mm-hmm. can pull out at any point. You said you grew up for 10 years in Great yeah. Britain. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, maybe maybe weave it in here a little bit as you feel like you're able to. We'll give it to you. It's yeah. Good. So, good so these are these are news articles. Yes. Sort okay, of. So it's news should be in news-ish. quotes. Yeah. So this is almost like BBC then. If oh, right? oh probably not. Here. But go ahead. <laughs> All right. First one. Go ahead. Right, first, first one. one. I can't do this on a British accent. <laughs> Fox wants to trademark OK Boomer. Oh, boy. Some people consider it a trendy insult. Others think it's an ageist slur. And Fox considers it a good name for a show. The oh. network recently filed a trademark application for the term OK Boomer, a phrase <laughs> used to mock baby boomers for being out of touch at age reports. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. My kids, I'm not even a baby boomer. My kids all the time like, okay, boomer. I'm like, that that doesn't work for me. You still think it's funny, though, don't you? I laugh every time. Yeah, you like okay, boomer more than anyone I know. I really do. All right, this one's out of New York. Raccoons fall through ceiling into New York CVS store. How'd you say his last time? Raccoons? Oh, yeah, I did. I committed a whole show to calling them (laughs) raccoons. A pair of raccoons made a scene at a CVS store in New York State when they fell through the ceiling and went went for a stroll through the store. An employee at the CVS in Warwick said that he was, I don't know why I said Warwick like that, said he was in the candy aisle when he heard a loud noise sounded like a piece of the ceiling had fallen. The worker said he investigated the noise and found two raccoons had fallen into the store through the ceiling. Wait. Oh, go ahead. Do you want to add? Do you want to add <laughs> well, more to the story? Just this next line, I think, is a video shows the two animals wandering the aisles after their unceremonious entrance. Ah, that's really good. <laughs> that was the perfect line that to bring really out that good. accent. That was perfect really, BBC, that was right? Really oh, good. So good. <laughs> Poor raccoons. Next one is out of Michigan. America sci fi. five. There you go. A remote start sends car into pond. <laughs> this is like uh, Dwight and uh, yes. Michael. <laughs> it's a shocking video. A driver hits his remote start, then suddenly his car starts going. It runs right into a pond. Well, it happened on Saturday in New Hudson. He made sure no one was in the way of the vehicle. He yelled out. He also had valuables in the cases, so he recovered them, then ran in to get help, said Fred Stanton, who is the range master at Huron Gut Valley Guns. Stanton says the car sank quickly. 
obviously. Because <laughs> it's the, a car. By the time deputies arrived, it was under seven feet of water. He is grateful no one was in the front of the car when this happened outside the business where he works. He is speaking about what happened to... <laughs> <laughs> to raise awareness of a danger all drivers okay. need to know to protect their vehicles and people's lives. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. no, 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 no. It means it. This is the right. clip. No, oh, there. It said right. It said take a right. <laughs> no, 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 look. It, it means go up to There's the right, to bear right, over the bridge, going. and yeah. look up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut to it. <laughs> say go to the right. It can't mean that. There's look, a lake right there. He knows where it is going. This is the the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's up <laughs> here. There's no room here. Like, what about the people who just tune in in the middle of that? They're like, do we? Is this the wrong station? Speaking of the office, I was watching a bunch of them last night. The whole raise awareness. I saw the fun run where Michael did the fun run uh-huh. for rabies awareness. Uh-huh. <laughs> that made me oh, were there man. raccoons? Yes, also in the world. raccoons. Oh, yes. you got the Florida oh, one. You got Florida. That's like winning the jackpot. Florida's dangerous. Oh no, it's bad. All right. <laughs> Professor who wrote a book about corruption charged with laundering. That's really good. A Florida professor who co-wrote a book about organized crime has been arrested on federal charges that he laundered corruption proceeds from Venezuela. Bruce Bagley. Of course, it's Bruce Bagley. Like, honestly, you can't make this up. No, that's as good as it gets, yeah. man. Bruce Bagley was arrested Monday in Florida. The 73-year-old University of Miami professor was charged with conspiracy to commit money laundering and two counts of money laundering. I'm not sure how are different. Does it make sense? That makes sense. <laughs> Wait, did we get a pump fake on that one? I didn't know if he was done. I can't see him doing it. I'm, yeah. I'm relying on just kind of the inflections. Of I mean, I feel like we've, been, we've at least got to give an advertisement to the uh, to the book, though, right? What's the book? Bagley is a co-author of Drug Trafficking, Organized Crime, and Violence in the Americas <laughs> Today, published in 2015. Wow, what a catchy title. He was, he was just putting his research to good work. <laughs> That's all. It is weird, though. The conspiracy to commit money laundering and two counts of uh, actual money money laundering. laundering. (laughs) All right. Last but not least, right here in Illinois, Chicago Bar installs over 70 big mouth billy bass to sing popular songs in unison. I just need to know where this is so I can never go. Exactly. Remember the big mouth billy bass singing fish that was so popular back in the 90s? Well, a bar in Chicago now has more than 70 of them because that's what you want to hear after a night of drinking, right? Is a bunch of fish singing at you? (laughs) Ashley Albert, a co-owner of the Royal Palms Shuffleboard Club. Write that one down. <laughs> Said coming up with the idea and finding the fish was one thing. Choreographing the fish was another. Albert brought in Adam Lassie, a partner of design group Studio Quasi in New York City, to make it all happen. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think they should. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. That's funny. That's funny. We should do a show f- from this bar. That'd be great. With While they're singing. That's what I'm saying. The whole time. Or yeah, not that's... just from the bar without them singing. That just... <laughs> Let's bring all 70 of them here to the studio. I think, I think they should be set up with you guys, like lip syncing awesome. everything that you say. Just <laughs> that's that's terrible. terrible. Some people are like, that'd be the best show you've done in a while. So, Phil, thanks for joining us, man. This was fun. Absolutely. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> 